Now, here's something that's necessary for me to say because this has happened everywhere I've ever been when the regular preacher is not in the pulpit. I'm not the regular guy. Most of you here know that, but visitors may not. So here's what you need to know. I'm not the best guy for the job. I'd rather be hearing Steve Tandy or Sonny Banning personally, but you've got me today. Uh, now, I'm nervous about this. I'll be candid. I don't get nervous about much, but this does. Because what we do when we gather here to break the bread, to sing songs, to say prayers together, and to share the gospel matters. It's more important than talking college football on the radio. It's more substantial than making tacos on TV. This matters. And it makes me nervous because when we leave here today, the purpose of all of this isn't that we have come together and hung out for a while, but the purpose is that we've come here today and we walk out different people than what we started. And I can't do that. I can't make you different than what you were. What can make you different than what you were, though, is the words of the, of the Bible, the words of God. And as we talk today, I hope that's what you'll hear, because that is what is important. Now, another reason I'm nervous is if all the technology is working correctly today, my Aunt Jean in upstate New York is watching. And there are a few people I've ever feared in life, like my mother and my Aunt Jean. So I don't want to let her down, but whatever happens, she will say it went well, even if I fall down the stairs here at some point in time. So we're in this big, these couple of passages I want us to start with today. The first one's out of John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. You've got this section where Jesus is talking about gates and sheep, and all of these things are going on. And in our culture, in our society, we always zoom in on verse 10 in this reading. You see it highlighted right now. I have, not co- I have come that they may have life. And they can have it abundantly. Now, we read this and we start guessing what we want it to mean. But if you look for the true meaning of it, it's really found in the part just before that. Where it talks about the false teachers. The false leader who comes in, kills, and destroys. And then, it references Jesus and life abundantly. Then, 7th grade Gary Brown found this passage. Over in Psalm 37, verse 4, and I loved it when I was in seventh grade. Listen to this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Wow! Now, I've got to tell you, as a seventh grader, that was pretty good news because I could see 16 on the horizon. And that meant that that Trans Am that I thought was really cool was coming my way if I just was making myself happy in the Lord. That's exciting stuff. Or it might mean that Melissa Thacker, who I had a crush on, might agree to take on my ID bracelet at that point. You know, that's the desire of the heart, right? Well, we're going to talk about this today a little bit, about our abundance and about the things that we have. And we're going to talk about not to make us feel guilty about them, because that's not really the point. We all have stuff in here, 
And we're all in a season of abundance right now. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love Thanksgiving. I love the stories that get told. I love the traditions that are established. I know things about the Litton family. I know that if you bring whole wheat rolls to Sean Litton's Thanksgiving dinner, you're going to be assigned paper goods duty the rest of the day, the rest of your life. Because I know someone that brought whole wheat rolls one year. You don't want to do that. Your family, as y'all sat around the table, made traditions. And this year they may have been a little bit different. But somewhere, even if they weren't together, people were thinking about them and they were talking about them. And, and we're going to get into the Christmas season next and we're going to get very busy. We're going to put our trees up. I love this picture of this tree here. It's not a fancy photographer that took it. It's the tree at my cousin Tom and Susan's house last year. I spend Christmas with them every year. And it's a beautiful time and a beautiful place. We have traditions, but there's also abundance that goes along with our holiday. The tree, if you looked at the bottom of it, there are packages for days around it. And we exchange all of these things. And most likely, that's very similar to your home as well. You've got an abundance of goods and gifts coming your way. Be it going through the mall or seeing what happens on Amazon this year. You're going to have an abundance. We live, though, in a country of abundance. And it's not just limited to these two days. I'm going to be offending some of you here right now. But the average person, notice I didn't say woman or man, the average person in the United States has 27 pairs of shoes. Now, I'll let you go home and count in your own closet. All right, when I first arrived here in Kansas, I had about five pairs of shoes, and most of them were for running purposes. I look in there today, and I've got shoes I don't even wear, and I bet you do too. 19 pairs of shoes. That's, a, that's an abundance of shoes by the measure of most of the world. You look at your houses today. Uh, anybody here grow up in the 80s? Who always an 80s kind of kid like I was? Hands are going up. In the 80s, a lot of us shared bedrooms with our brothers or our sisters. And we had one bathroom that we got to use. Well, today, from 1980 to today, the average house is 550 square feet larger than it used to be. And here's another thing. The average house, there's fewer people living in it today than there were then. And so we all have more square footage than we used to in the house. We have an abundance of things that we don't ever talk about and don't realize. And it's not our fault necessarily because it just becomes commonplace because it's just what's around us every day. And then the question becomes, though, where did all this stuff come from? What's the source of our abundance? And in America, we love the idea, the concept of the self-made man. We did it. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm the reason that I am what I am. It's another deadly idea, because the reality is... None of us are by any means a self-made man or a self-made woman. Starting back in October, after one of uh, 
Toby's sermons, he talked about recognizing kind of where things that people we were grateful for. So on Facebook, I started listing people I was grateful for. And as I started making these lists every day, it became a matter of, oh no, this is going to go on forever. Because there is no end to the list of people who have made a difference in my life. And I think if you start looking at your own life, you'll also understand that you're just a tapestry of all these people that you've come in contact with all these years. And that they've all invested something in you that's made you different. We've all had the great boss who encouraged us to do better. We all had an adult somewhere who spoke a good word to us and made us feel like we could do anything. We've all had people that have invested in us. And what I love is is the pictures I've got up here in front of me. This goes back to Huntsville, Alabama, to Fort Smith, Arkansas, to New Orleans, Louisiana, to right here in Wichita, Kansas, where people have made me better. And I, I would encourage you, sit down sometime, make a list of the people who have made you more than what you were going to be, and make sure those people know that you're grateful for them. But we got to get out of the idea that we have an abundance, and I've done this abundance all by myself. This abundance came from other people. People who are willing to share their abundance with us. People who were willing to take time and invest in making us more than what we were. And that should encourage us also to share our abundance. Uh, There's a picture of a tray that you're looking at right now. When Toby first asked me to speak, and I knew what my topic was going to be, I remembered my mom and dad. And I remembered Thanksgiving and Christmas, July 4th, and all the other holidays where food was a big part of life. And by the way, if you're from Alabama... Uh, and you have two southern parents from Mississippi, food is usually a big part of life every day. And so, uh, but when I, started, when I started thinking about this, I remembered this tray my mom and dad had. And this is not that tray, but it's similar. And that tray, what would happen is when Thanksgiving dinner was ready to go, when Christmas dinner was ready to be served and the Brown family ready to sit down and eat, this tray... And others came out first. And those trays got filled with food for about four or five families. And before we would break bread and have our holiday meal together, those trays would then be taken to people who weren't able to get out to have a meal. Mom and dad shared out of the abundance of our table with other people. We should be people who are that way. Uh, Mike and Mary Burkett are friends of mine in Fort Smith, and Mary will tell the story about getting new shoes. Again, if if you're a child of the 80s or earlier, you understand getting new shoes was a big deal. It happened at Easter time. And you would go and get shoes, and your brothers and sisters would get shoes, and it was exciting. And there was a budget, too. And you'd go get the shoes. In Mary's family one year, they had just gotten back from getting the shoes, and they were at home. And they learn about a family at church whose house is literally burned down that day. Mike and Mary, uh, Mary's mother and father didn't hesitate. 
They didn't go get the old shoes out of their closet to take to the family whose home burned down. They took the brand new shoes that they had just bought for their own children to that house. They gave out of their abundance, not out of their leftovers. And, and that's kind of who we should be as well, is a people who give from our abundance and share it with other people. Because we recognize that we only have that because others have invested it in us. And here's the thing. We are a wealthy people. But I've said all of this to say this. You're going to lose every bit of it someday. It's all useless. It's all just stuff. That trade that I was, I was wanting to hope to have here this morning. I texted all my brothers and sisters. We all remember the tray. The tray is gone. And when we have all this wealth, when we have all this abundance, as I was talking to my friend Walker Harmon last week about the lesson and trying to figure out how to get it to fit, he brought me to a question. And that question is this. You have all this abundance. You have all these things. But when you get sick or someone you love is sick, what's the only thing that you want? You want them to be better. You want to get well. You want it to be over and done. You want the health back. That's what we want. And the abundance of things that we have doesn't matter one bit. All the excess that we live our lives with, it doesn't matter. We want that person well. And yes, they may get well, but at some point in time, they are going to pass. My dad struggled with alcohol. And I'll never forget, I was in a class one Wednesday night at church in Huntsville. I'd gone to see him. And he was, he was dying. He hadn't become a Christian yet. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in class that night, and we are having the regular conversation uh, with these men that I'd grown up with who had influenced me. And, and Jim Van looks at me and says, Gary, we can pray for your dad's health, but we need to pray for his soul. And we did that night. And that was the necessary prayer. Because regardless of his health, he was going to die someday. And he was going to die if he hadn't made a decision in the darkness of sin. You see, I tried to find a picture to illustrate how dark sin is. I couldn't find one. I couldn't find anything that illustrated just how dark our sin really is. And that's relevant for this conversation of abundance because of this. We were lost. What I want you to recognize today is not the abundance of your material things. We've got stuff. What I want you to take out of here today is the abundance of grace that you have been given. The abundance of salvation that you have. Because here's the reality. We can't see our dark sin. If, if I asked you to raise your hands in here, and I'm not doing that, but if I did, most of you would raise your hand that you had been raised in the church of Christ most of your life. And so what happened is this. You were born, you were taken to a church building, and then at some time, about 7th or 8th grade, people started talking to you about baptism. And then you were baptized, and oh, now you're done. But what we never stop to see and recognize is what we were. We were in a dark place. 
we had sin and we could do nothing at all about it. We were lost. And this passage from Romans 5, it's one of those ones that just stays with you when you understand what your situation was. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what you were. You were locked in a dark world full of sin and you were powerless to do anything about it. You were hopeless until at the right time God demonstrated His love for us. And when we talk about this, okay, we talk about this, and here's, just what, here's the source of our abundance, okay? The source of our abundance isn't what we've done. Uh, one of the saddest moments I can ever remember was talking to a friend whose wife was passing away. And she was relatively young. She had cancer. And he's relaying the story to us of the preacher who was going to do her funeral. And they were all sitting there talking. And as she talked to the preacher, Paul Bridges was his name, she asked him a question. Have I done enough? She's there, she's dying, that's her question. Have I done enough? I don't know what you would say in that moment to somebody, but Paul had the right answer. No, you haven't done enough. You can't do enough. And it's okay that you haven't done enough because Jesus did it for you. It's out of His purpose and His grace that we're saved. It has nothing to do with us. And what we don't like to see a lot of times is this horrific picture that it took to accomplish that. When we see pictures of Jesus, we like the sanitized version. We like to see Jesus on a cross without sweat. We like to see Jesus on a cross without blood. We don't like to see the brutality of it. We don't like to see our own darkness, and we don't like to see the price that was paid to take us out of our own darkness. It was absolutely brutal. But because of that, get, get this verse from Ephesians. In Him... We have the redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Here's the hope for you today. Okay? If you're sitting here wondering, have I done enough? The answer is, no, you have not. You will never do enough. And I think some of us, when we come to church, we stay busy because we think that if we can just keep doing enough, that all of those things that we have done, we might be able to overcome. But we can't. But the good news again is, they have been overcome. Because of what Jesus did on that cross. But there's something that results from that. There's something that happens because Jesus died on that cross. 
Because Jesus died on that cross, it gives us a message of hope. I I get frustrated sometimes when I see studies and surveys and uh, churches, you know, Christian colleges studying, what's the best way to do evangelism? What's the best way to reach the lost? The best way to reach the lost hasn't ever changed. The best way to reach the lost is for those who were lost to understand what their situation was and in turn to have a passion and an excitement about the gospel message and share it with other people so that they can understand they don't have to remain lost. Uh, An ambassador to a country, I love this passage from 2 Corinthians 5.20. It should humble us in a lot of ways. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, can you imagine if we sent ambassadors around the world and they never spoke up for the country? They'd be a very poor ambassador to be candid about it. It would make make them less than what we sent them there for. We are God's ambassadors in this place. Bringing others to Christ does not take some major effort from the church as a whole. It takes a small effort from you to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else. Now, I've watched us during this political season. We have been very, very avid campaigners. Some of us have been very, very avidly rooting for one side, while the rest of us have been rooting for the other side. I've seen our Facebook posts. They have been constant and they have been repeated. I'm also betting that if I engage you in your personal conversations, you've been equally as passionate during this campaign season with people about why they ought to vote the way they ought to vote. Thankfully, that campaign season is behind us now. I've watched you on Facebook as well as you've fought about masks. Whether you ought to wear a mask or whether you shouldn't wear a mask. We all have an opinion. And we are all passionate about it. But folks, campaigns come to an end. Pandemics come to an end. You may not believe that right now, but they, it does. We can't let that distract us from what our mission is. Our mission is very simple. Our mission is to present a message of hope to a world that needs it more than anything else they need right now. And the question for you is, are you going to be a person who invests your passion in things that are temporary, things that are going to fade away, things that will come to nothing, Or are you going to invest your passion into something permanent, something eternal, and something that will bring hope to a lost person? We have an abundance, y'all. We have more than we ever have expected or needed. And I'm not talking about physical things, but I'm talking about spiritual things. Jesus died on the cross for you. Your sins no matter how big they were, were forgiven. And today, you have hope because of that. That's a message you need to share. It's bigger than Alabama beating Auburn in the Iron Bowl yesterday. 
It's the most important message you will have. And you can literally change the world with it. Today, if you've not recognized your abundance, and you think you need to be talking with somebody about that, there's an elder who will meet you in the back of the auditorium and will talk with you and pray with you about your use of your abundance. I hope that if you haven't been using your abundance, that not not the words I've said, but the words of the Bible have shown you that you have hope, that you were lost, but that you can help, that you were found now, and that because of your work, others can be found. But here's something else I hope. I hope that if you haven't been baptized into Christ yet, repented for your sins, been baptized. I hope that you'll see your darkness. I hope that it won't be a small thing to you. I pray it will be a troubling thing to you. And I pray that it will trouble you to the point that you recognize the need for a Savior. And that you'll know that one Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that when you recognize that, that you will come and that you will be baptized for forgiveness of your sins so that you can then tell other people about the forgiveness you were given. If there's any need you have today, this church is here to help you. And we ask you now, if you would, you could come now as we're standing together and we're singing.